Okay, next up we have um, Rob Walling. Uh, Rob is, has, a, has a blog which you ought to check out called softwarebyrob.com. And he's also founder of something called the Micropreneur Academy, which is a really interesting outfit, which I encourage you to look up as well. So please welcome Rob. Thanks for having me. I, uh, this is my favorite conference I attend every year, and uh, it's really great to see a lot of folks that, whose faces I recognize. I learned a lesson this week. Um, if you leave your house and it's 100 degrees, I, I live in California, and you get to a place where it's 55 degrees and raining, you're going to wind up with a voice that sounds like this. I, I got a cold last night yelling over the music. So I apologize you have to listen to this for 45 minutes, but uh, apparently it was, it was inevitable. Um, so as Neil said, my name is Rob Walling. Uh, I blog at softwarebyrob.com, and today I'm going to be talking about the number one goal of your website. There we go. Okay, so I have uh, a couple confessions, actually. The first one is that I always use Darmesh's line, but it doesn't work when he's here, because he already said it. Now, his line is that I'm a developer, and I'm not a public speaker. I don't actually speak that much, um, so I ask for you know, a little bit of grace in that. And like Darmesh, um, I, uh, you know, I've been a developer for about, well, about 10 or 11 years. Um, Darmesh and I, I, just to give you some context of kind of where I fit in the software entrepreneur spectrum, um, you know, someone like Darmesh has venture capital, 180 employees, 60-person sales team, um, a, a large product and a large company that he focuses on. And I'm kind of the opposite end of that spectrum. So I, um, I have no funding. I have no employees um, I, by choice. I'm just a one-person person show. And uh, I have a, a number of different small software products and web apps. So I, I invest heavily into um, automation and outsourcing and um, uh, into internet marketing, because that's the only thing that can kind of, uh, you know, can make a one-man show profitable, is to do a lot of internet marketing. So that's, that's why the, the topic today is, is um, you know, the number one goal of your website. Um, the other confession I have is that I have never been accused of being too high level. I always err on the side of specificity. So if anything today, I'm going to give you so many specifics about this, you know, this technique I discovered about a year ago, um, down to like email, like the context and the content of emails that you should send out. So um, just to prepare you, we're going to start high level, look at some numbers, and then dive deep. So I have about 45 minutes of this, and I uh, hope it keeps it interesting. So the question that, that I have is the title of the talk, you know, what's the number one goal of your website? And when I ask this of software entrepreneurs, the typical result I get is uh, it's to sell software, right? It's to sell my, my application. And what I'm going to talk about today is that that's, that's the wrong answer, basically. Um, the problem is, is that if you're above the, the point of an impulse buy, if your price point is above a, right around 20 to 30 bucks, um, very few people are going to buy from your directly from your website the first time they visit. Okay, you're going to have to get them to come back multiple times. Uh, we'll look at some numbers that you know kind of prove that a little a little later. But um, most people don't think about this. You don't know this. And uh, here's a a couple of home pages um, that I want to take a quick look at. The, I cut some stuff out of this home page, but uh, you can see that there's time clock software. So imagine you search in Google. You say, Hey, I want some time clock software, and you get to a website. And you see this, and it's 99 bucks, right? So you're not quite comfortable just dropping 99 bucks without thinking about it. But you don't have any information here. There's no, I didn't cut out any like features or a video or anything. You have, you have nothing to make a decision on. 
And there's this quote that I love, and I, I don't remember if I thought of it brilliantly or if I have totally ripped this off from a book, but it's um, the ineffective marketer asks you to buy too soon. The ineffective marketer asks you to buy too soon. And I think Paul's uh, talk is a, a perfect precursor to what I'm talking about because he, he said, you know, the salesperson who spends 47 seconds engaging with the customer is, is not going to make the sale, right? They're going to do a poor job. And this is the same thing. This is uh, less than 47 seconds. You look at this and you're already asking for the sale three seconds after you, you get to the website. Here's another example. There, there's a few more bells and whistles here, but still, it's 99 bucks. Um, and you're, you're not going to buy, you know, uh, the first time you hit this site. The other interesting thing is that the vast majority of your website visitors are new visitors. I don't know who, if you've looked at this, but typically between 70 and 80%. If you exclude people coming to log in, you know, if you have a SaaS app, you exclude those folks, it's going to be between 70 and 80% with most websites. So your website has to be geared towards new visitors because that's, that's what you're trying to sell. So there's, um, when people arrive at your website, there's going to be five reasons why they don't buy. One is they don't have enough information about your product, okay? They're, they're trying to find more, you know, does this, uh, does this satisfy my needs? Does it uh, have the features I need? Two, they don't trust your product um, or your company for that matter because they don't know who you are. So um, we're going to talk about ways to, to combat this. Three is they don't have the budget right now. They don't have the money. Typically, this will change over time, hopefully. Um, four, they don't have a need right now. Okay, so a lot of folks maybe want to buy, uh, one of my products is invoicing software. And a lot of people really want to buy invoicing software, but they tend to wait until like the first of the year or till right after tax time to do it. And so um, they don't really have a need and it's until they, they really hit that point of being you know, disorganized and wanting to, uh, wanting to get their invoicing in, in check that they do it. The same thing like if you sell tax software, anything that's seasonal, um, this will change as well. And then the, <clears throat> excuse me, the fifth reason is that, you know, they're never going to buy. Um, the, it, quite possibly they're just doing a Google search for research, competitive research, um, or they just don't like your product and it's not a fit. So we can't change number five, but all four, the first four, we can change. We're going to talk about how to do that. So I'm a numbers guy and I like to see data to back things up. Um, I don't have a co-founder. So I don't tend to have someone intelligent who I can bounce ideas off of and say, what do you think? So I really have to bounce my ideas off numbers. I test, test, test. I do a lot of split testing and, and, and analytics and that type of stuff. Um, so what we're going to look at over the next few slides are, um, are some conversion rates of real products. Um, and there's this misconception that, that your conversion rate is like this, this magical number, right? People say, I have a 1.2% conversion rate. I have a 2.3% conversion rate. Um, is this a hint? Is my voice? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, this is fine too. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so, um, there's, so there's, a, there's this myth that, uh, that your conversion rate is this magical number, right? 2.2%, 1.2%. The thing is, is you, as soon as you start to segment that number, you realize the fallacy of, of holding this one conversion rate. Because you can segment it like uh, your traffic from Google will be wildly different than your traffic from Yahoo. And even within Google, obviously, a single keyword people are searching for is wildly different. And in the same respect, um, new versus returning visitors is something I had never looked at. And most people don't until about a year ago. I, I you know, started looking into it. And I discovered that the difference between, um, in conversion rates between a new visitor, first-time visitor, and someone who's come to your website before is insane. 
So this is one of my products, it's called .NET Invoice. It's invoicing software written in Ruby. No, it's written in .NET. Um, and uh, here's some numbers. I ran, um, I ran numbers over the course of three years, and these are really easy numbers to run if you have Google Analytics. 450% more sales to returning visitors. So these are not returning customers, mind you. This is a new visitor, someone the first time they ever come to your website, and a returning visitor is someone who's been there two or more times to your website. So I sell 4.5 times more of my software to people who, have, uh, who just have been to my website before. And if anything, this number is actually skewed downward. Because if someone came to my website from their home computer and then they went to their work computer, Google Analytics doesn't have the cookie, and it's gonna, and they bought, you know, if they bought on the second time, um, it's not gonna show up as a returning visitor. So if anything, this, this number is actually higher. And uh, the per visit value is about four and a half times more for, uh, for returning visits for me. So with this start, when I saw this, I realized, oh man, like I need more returning visitors. How do I do that? So, that, so that's what we're gonna talk about today. This is a, a website I used to own. It's just an e-commerce website. I don't have any e-commerce websites anymore, but back in the day when I was getting started um, in entrepreneurship, you know, it was an easy way to get started. And uh, I had a drop shipper and uh, sold beach towels. It was all about, it's, it's it, online marketing. I mean, you know, it's the same thing, marketing software or beach towels, frankly. If you're marketing them online, very similar approach. So I ran the numbers over one year, which is uh, about how long I owned it. And this one was surprising to me because beach towels are cheap. Uh, my invoicing software is 300 bucks. So I expected, uh, you gotta come back a few times before you're gonna buy that. But beach towels were, we had $11 beach towels, or I had $11 beach towels. And um, I expected this to be more even, kind of like new people came and you know, they'd just do an impulse buy, but it didn't turn out that way. And the, the other shocking thing, 900% more value on the returning visitor. And what that means is that returning visitors, not only um, more sales went to them, but they actually bought larger, they tend to you know, buy more beach towels, essentially. They bought more items. <coughs> Excuse me. So the, the third product um, is one owned by a colleague of mine. His name is Dave Rodenbaugh, and it's a WordPress classified plugin. And um, the funny thing about this one is I emailed him and I said, hey, do you have your numbers? You know, do you have your goals based on new and returning visitors? And he said, yeah, of course I do. And he went to email me back, and he said he had forgotten to hook up his goals in Google Analytics. So you have to have goals hooked up. When someone makes a purchase, it shows you know, where they came from. And he didn't have it. And so I jokingly said, well, certainly, if you hooked it up now, by the time I get to the conference, you know, they'll, there will be a, a big difference. And we were jokingly saying, like, there's not a chance, basically. In eight days, there's no way we're gonna see a difference. And of course, um, in eight days, almost six times more from returning visitors. So the moral is, start tracking this stuff today. The last one we're gonna look at is Crazy Egg. Uh, a lot of you probably use this fantastic heat mapping software. Um, it's a SaaS application, and Heat and Shaw was kind enough to, to share this with me. I emailed with him a couple weeks ago. And um, he ran it over the course of 60 days, and now, clarification, um, if someone came to the website like six months ago and then they came back during the 60-day period, then they, uh, they were counted as a returning visitor. So they didn't have to come and you know, come twice in the 60-day in the period, um, but he just ran the numbers for 60 days. This one shocked me, so 1,600%. And his, his product, is, it's a recurring subscription, so you know, it makes sense that people would maybe need to, to come back a few more times, but it's not very expensive, if I recall. So. Um, yeah, there's, these are the four we're, you know, that we've looked at. And with this in mind, 
I ask the question again, what is the number one goal of your website? And since returning visitors buy a heck of a lot more, your goal should be able to get people to come, your goal is to get people to come back. That's the idea that we're gonna talk about today. It's not just to come back either, it's to, to have repeated trust building con contact with you. So we talked about those four reasons, or the five reasons people don't buy, they don't have trust, they don't have enough information. Um, we're gonna address all those through, uh, through a tactic. All right, so how do we do this? We're gonna get to some specifics now. So this is kind of the second, that's the introduction and that's the, the justification for what we're doing. And then the second part here is um, some details of, of really how we're gonna do it. It's nuts and bolts type stuff. So there's a bunch of different options, right? We, we've kind of all heard about this. This is the beauty of, of email, of building an email list. It's one option. Um, you can start a blog, get a lot of people reading it, and you, you bring them back. Um, of course, there's social media. Now, I made the decision in this talk that, yeah, I could, I mean, we've all kind of heard this stuff before, right? So I'm not gonna say, oh, build an email list, because we know this. So we're actually gonna drill down into one technique, the email list, and we're gonna drill down into how I've seen it done and, and the results of people split testing on this. Um, building, so there, there's, a, there's a couple advantages to doing it with email, as opposed to doing a blog or social media. The, the issues with a blog are, it's super time intensive and it's really, really hard to get anyone to listen to you, right? So you can blog for a year. I bet a lot of people in here blog for six months or a year and you, you have 100 readers, right? Um, there's a, a ton of effort. If it works, it works, but for most people it just doesn't. It's not a reality. Email is something that anyone can pull off, you know, based on what we're gonna look at today. And then social media is, I, it still has a, a bit of a dubious ROI. I know there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, of connections you can make, there's a lot of deals you can make, but in terms of, of trying to accomplish this and achieve it in a measurable way, um, which as I said, I have to measure everything, and I think you know, most people should do that, um, social media is, is just not, it, you know, it's second fiddle to, to doing, building an email list. Um, everyone has email, not everyone's on Twitter. Very few people read blogs. If you're not marketing to a developer audience, if you're not marketing to a technical audience, blogs, I mean, you're out of your mind, you know? No one's, no one's gonna read your RSS feed. Um, email's the most ubiquitous form of online communication. It actually has the highest click-through rates. It's less of a time commitment. What we're gonna talk about is kind of building a thing that'll take about one to two days to do, and you can test it, and you're gonna see if it works. You're gonna know in a couple of weeks if this works, and if it does, it should add, the goal is about 10% to your revenue. These are the tests that I've seen. So. It's a very small time investment. You test it, if it works, you're golden. You just made 10%, send me a check for my cut. And if it doesn't work, then of course you just revert. It's, it's very easy to do that. Um, there are some other crazy things about email and this I didn't realize. So there's this thing I call personal broadcast and I do think I've coined this one. Um, essentially, if you start building an email list over time, and, and it starts getting larger and larger, and at the end of six months or a year, you suddenly have a thousand people that are you know, pretty interested in your product. It's, it's this crazy tool that you can do so many things with, so much more than if you had a, a thousand blog readers or a thousand people on your, uh, in your Facebook page or you know, Twitter followers. Because you, you can get right into their inbox and you can present them with stuff that, um, that has a high click-through rate, essentially, if you do it right. 
I'm not, I'm not talking about spam. I mean, let's just be clear here, right? Like, we're not talking about spamming people. We're not talking about bothering them a lot. There's, uh, it's very infrequent emailing, but it's high value stuff. Um, the crazy thing you can do with email is that you can do, uh, personal broadcast is being able to um, send a broadcast to a lot of people via email, but you can personalize it to each of them. So we can actually do, you can do price testing if you have an email list, and I've seen this done, right? Who, who here has ever tested their pricing in a way that, yeah, so a couple hands went up. It's really hard to do, right? Because if you just drop your pricing on your website, then all your customers from last week come and they get pissed off and they email you and they say, why can't I get that? And then you're refunded money, right? It's a big deal. With email, you can do this. You can segment customers and just say, all right, 10% of my list, I'm gonna mail with this price and another 10% with this price and let's see what the conversion rates are. And then you mail the last 80% with the, you know, the, best, uh, the best result, essentially. Um, and you can't do this with, with blogging or with, with these other tools. You, the other interesting thing you can do is you can actually throttle, you can throttle traffic. Um, I, was work, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, and I was working with one a couple weeks ago, and he had this a big launch, and he um, was launching his product out of beta, and he had this email list of 700 people. And he said, you know, I'm just concerned that it has, that it might have a bug, or a few bugs for that matter. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, and so we decided that instead of emailing 700 people, having them barrage his website, you know, buy the thing hopefully, and then having all these showstoppers show up, we said, well, let's, let's do 100. Let's email 100 people and see what happens. And so he did. He emailed 100 people, and he sold you know, a very small percentage, and some showstoppers came up. And he was able to fix them in the first week, and then he emailed the last 600 people. So you can throttle things unlike any other avenue. Now. Somebody might be thinking, well, wait, some of the most successful software companies I've seen, they don't do this, right? They don't build email lists. Email is so 1990s. 37 Signals, Fog Creek, these guys don't, they don't do it, so why should I? And there's this little secret, and it's the 133,000 RSS subscribers that these guys have. And you can go that way, right? You can go and you can build a blog really, really hard. Um, but this email thing is, is just much more controllable. I should know, I don't do things that are really, really hard. I don't have time, because I have a bunch of products I'm trying to maintain, and I'm only one person. So now we're gonna dive into um, to some, to a couple of steps. Yeah, so we're gonna dive into some concrete steps. Three steps to putting email follow-up in place. Um, the first one is you got to have a killer landing page. If you don't do this step, if you don't go all out and make your home page, uh, make the number one goal of your home page, it has to be to get someone's email address, okay? In a good way. I don't mean like get it, like yeah, we're going to get it like we're spammers, but like to, to, to make them trust you enough to give you their, their email address. I don't know if anyone remembers this, but this is from 2009. And you don't even need to give these guys their email address. If you click that, the green button that says download our free guide, it just comes down. But I gave it to them just for kicks, and these guys collected thousands of emails because of this, this killer design they had. Um, and you know, they build trust really quickly. So instead of having a, they're, they're time tracking software. So instead of having a time tracking software, $99 buy now, which no one's gonna do, right? You don't have the trust. You can build enough trust in a single page like this to get someone's email. Because you're not gonna get 99 bucks, but you can get their email. .NET Invoice is a decent example of this. Um, the, you can see the, the email field right above the view demo, and this is something we have split tested. 
<clears throat> asking for an email before a demo. Yeah, as a developer, I've never wanted to do that. Huge impact on our bottom line. Big, big time. So this is, I mean, this is our homepage right there. Like, you, can, you can't do very much on it. The call to action is to, to view our demo and, uh, and give us your email. Here's another one. We've seen landing pages before. Um, one critique of this one actually is anytime you add, for every field you add, you're going to drop the amount of people that are going to give you their information. So I wouldn't have, what do they have, five fields? It's way too many. Um, here's another one from Web Trends. And uh, here's an interesting lead gen one. Um, so you really have to go all out and you kind of can't, you can't half ass it and say, oh, we're going to put an email form at the bottom of the page and hope people get it. Because you're, you're going to get a you know, tenth of a percent of people come and give you email. And you, you need to be between, you know, about, you, when you start off, you're going to be between 10 and 20 percent. And then you need to optimize that up into the 40s. That's where you should be. Step two is to give something away. Um, a lot of us have heard the, you know, the, the thing of write an 8 to 12 page uh, PDF, write a white paper. And that it actually works surprisingly well. Um, I don't call them white papers anymore because that kind of, they lost value, but calling it a report or something is, is decent. Um, so that is, it's a good technique. It'll, it'll get you started in that 10 to 20% range, but the way to really jump above 20% and start getting uh, between 20 and 40%, and when I say 20, 40%, I mean if 100 people visit your website, you get between 20 and 40 emails. Like this is, that's a lot of, that's, it's a lot of hard work. It's pretty shocking. The way you're going to get there is by having a really good landing page and by uh, giving something unique away. Um, so that jump start thing we looked at earlier, the time tracking, this is what they gave away. It's this amazing PDF, and people were talking about it all over the place. And I got it, it was forwarded to me, and I went and downloaded it from them and gave them my email, because I was like, I got to find out what these guys are doing. So something with really, this is the same thing. I mean, it's just, it's really cool. It's really well designed. It's exceptionally well. It's not some boring uh, Word document that I would put together. You got to hire a designer and do it legit. Um, some of you may have heard of Smart Bear Software. Um, Jason wrote a book, and it's a hardback book. And if you go to Smart Bear, you enter your, your email and your shipping address. They send you the book for free, no postage. And uh, they send out over 1,000 a month. So they've gotten the, the marginal cost down. You mentioned this on a podcast. I don't feel like I'm giving anything away. Um, their marginal cost for the whole deal is five bucks a book. The printing, the postage, the pack, I mean, the whole deal, five bucks a book. So it's a $5,000 a month marketing expense, but <clears throat> obviously they, they did all right with it. <clears throat> but, um, you know, if you think about this, it's like a thousand new prospects a month giving you their, well, not only their email, but now you have their location. You know, you have a lot of, of data to go from uh, when you do something like this, and it's truly unique. And then dot invoice, you're going to get so tired of seeing this slide. I, hopefully this is the last time I put it in, but um, it's, uh, we don't, you know, we don't give anything away except for to view the demo. And if someone's not interested in our product, then they bounce, and that's fine. But if they are interested, they, they give us, we, you know, we just don't have issues getting emails. Um, and then, you know, there's actually one other, and I forgot to put the screenshot in, but uh, Neil mentioned the Micropreneur Academy. It's at micropreneur.com. Uh, we give away, we do give away just a 12-page PDF report, but I took 20 minutes one day and I read it into my computer, you know, so I read an audio version, and then I sent it to an editor, paid him 20 bucks, and uh, we, ha we now give away a, 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 a PDF and a MP3 version of it. So it's surprising that that had a, a highly positive impact on our, our conversion rates. So the last step <coughs> is um, 
Step three is to set up the follow-up. And here's where we're gonna get into some, some nitty-gritty stuff. I'm gonna make these slides, don't, don't feel like you have to, <clears throat> excuse me. Don't feel like you have to copy all of this down. <clears throat> I'm gonna make this available on my blog. So if you don't have an email service provider, <clears throat> if you don't have an email service provider, um, I recommend MailChimp. They don't give me a kickback for this, but uh, I've used four different service providers and MailChimp's by far the best, and they now have a free plan up to 1,000 users. So if you get back to the office next week, the, I mean, like I said before, the goal of my talk is that next week you get back and you, you can implement this with very little work. It's about, a, well, it's about a day to a day and a half to do this. So sign up for MailChimp, free up to 1,000, so there's no cost. And our goals of doing this thing is that we go back to the, the four reasons people don't buy. The first reason people don't buy is they don't have enough information. So what are we gonna do? Well, we're gonna give them some information. Okay, we wanna do that with these emails. So we have their email address, what do we do now? Um, the next thing is, you know, they, they don't trust us, so we're gonna try to build trust. They don't have the money, so we can either give them some discounts or we can wait them out, because this will tend to change over time. If someone doesn't have the budget now, they will likely have it in 30, 60, 90 days, they're gonna have it at some point. It depends on your price point, it depends on your sales cycle. You, sh you, know, you should know this. Um, with .NET Invoice, we sell a $300 invoicing product. Our sales cycle is about, it's between four and six weeks. And so our email um, follow-up sequence is designed to, to capitalize on that, to kind of wait them out for that four to six weeks before we really, really do some drastic stuff. And the last one is they don't have a need for your product right now, and you wait them out. So we're gonna focus on the ones on the right-hand side. The emails are gonna address each of these points. We're gonna look at four, um, four products that do this and have done it well and that have split tested. The, the first two I actually have numbers for. The last two I don't, um, apologize for that. But the first one is collectors.com. Some of you may have heard of it. It's a, um, I think it's a one-man show. I think it's a, like one guy who develops all these apps. And basically they have, uh, movie collection software and comic book and book and mp3 like kind of the stuff to aggregate your collections and then they also sell um, barcode scanners hardware barcode scanners and so he a b tested and he said you know we have a downloadable app um, version a is a no friction download right you just click a button you get the software and he said he was scared to death of doing this version b you have to give an email to download and then he had a follow-up sequence, because now you have their email, what are you gonna do? Well, he welcomed them. He said, hey, thanks for doing this. Here's a $5 discount. This is on day zero, right after they give you their email. Um, here's a download link, of course. Here's a link to a getting started guide, so you're providing information, you're providing education, and then there's some testimonials. So that's the building trust. So that's the first two of those things. And he actually addressed the uh, not enough money, too, right, because he gave them a $5 discount coupon. <clears throat> two days later, pings them again. Says, hey, here's a buying guide. We have a couple versions, standard and pro. Um, our barcode scanners are really cool because they're, you know, they're hardware and you can just dink, 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 you know, shoot the little barcodes and it gets it in the system. iPhone app testimonial. So he's still, he's providing information, proving that they're legitimate and, uh, and building trust with this. And then day six, he says, hey, you know, if you're not interested, maybe you should subscribe to our newsletter so you can hear about us in the future because we're not gonna send you emails on this forever. Certainly not gonna keep bugging you. And uh, some more benefits and testimonials. And then day 30 is his last one and he says, I really want you to buy, here's more testimonials. So that's the whole thing. And his results. <clears throat> so um, A was the control group, right? That's, that's what he'd been doing for years, which is just click and get a download. And B is the, uh, the test. 
So downloads were down by 33%. This makes sense. A lot fewer people are going to download if they have to give you their email address. Sales were up by 3%. Right? So that, that's reasonable, right? Uh, it's not great, but maybe it's probably worth a day or two's worth of work. Here's the kicker, though, is the average first purchase was up by 13% and the profit was up by 15% because people started buying the barcode scanners. No one was buying the barcode scanners their first time because they, they didn't, trust the, uh, didn't trust the company. But when they started getting these emails, and they were like, oh, these guys are legit. Like, they're following up with me. They have all this information. They have testimonials. So suddenly, people are buying more on their first purchase. The other, um, other case study we'll look at is Solar Accounts. It's accounting software from the UK. And uh, they did the same thing. Essentially, version A is on the left, right? There's no email required. And version B is on the right. Yes, for the name and email. Um, on day zero, he only had a two email sequence. So he says, thanks for downloading. Here's a how-to guide. And number 14 is, hey, did you like our software? Just checking in. That's it. Nothing. Nothing else. So what do you do? Downloads down by 15%. Again, reasonable. Sales are up by, oops. Let's see. Sales are up by 18% for this guy. Um, I've achieved similar results with .NET Invoice. We have... Uh, there's this interesting test we did for price conscious customers. We had a lot of feedback that our app was too expensive. It's 300 bucks. And so we, we decided to do this test for a couple of months. So day zero, we asked for the unsubscribe. That's the first thing we do. We actually say, if, if you don't want to receive this, like, please unsubscribe. And that's the first line in the email. We get less than a, we get about two-tenths of a percent of people unsubscribing. So people are interested. Like, it's not that they don't want to receive this stuff. Um, then we give them a coupon that expires in two days. After 14 days, uh, that's after two weeks they receive this. And we get, we get quite a few sales from that. And then after six weeks, we tested a $100 off coupon. We don't do this ongoing. This was more of a test just to see how it impacted. It's a price test impact. And uh, we had really good results from it. Two days later, we said, you know, you have an eight, hour, uh, eight hours until this thing expires. So um, I don't have exact numbers for this. I know that it was more. What did we see so far? We saw 15% and 18%. I know that it was more than that. I just can't give you an exact number. It was in the low 20s in terms of, of increase in revenue from doing this for us. And then the last one is um, a company called BidSketch. I wanted to do this one because it's a SaaS application, and that's a little different than the others we've looked at. And yeah, Ruben, Ruben who's here in the audience, um, he's the owner of this. So he has a 30-day trial, and people can um, they give their, their uh, credit card information up front. And so on day zero, they get their login info. They get a welcome. And then the, this is the coolest part, actually, is that on day four, since it's a SaaS app, you know how they're using it. You know, you can go in. It's like Darmesh was talking about, like, um, how they have the, uh, what is it, the chi, and they, they contact them if people are unhappy. Well, on day four, if no one's created a proposal, he knows that they're not using it, right? That's one component of, of, actually, of the chi that Darmesh said. So you can say, if no proposal, you have to email them. Do you need help? Links to helpful content, you can address it specifically. And if they have created a proposal, well, you know they've used it, and you, you kind of give them different content. So this is a benefit of having a SaaS app. And then day 25, hope you're enjoying it. Come back, and uh, 30, you know, they get an invoice. So, um, so we've talked about some specific things, and now I'm going to look at uh, the most common mistakes I've seen with doing this. And aside from the ones I've mentioned already, like having a landing page that is just a half-assed landing page with uh, email thing in the footer. Um, there's a couple things that, uh, that, that are pretty common, and it's getting your stuff stuck in spam filters. So uh, the first thing that, this is from a huge corpus of email that MailChimp went through. They have like millions and millions of emails. And uh, you know they did 
essentially metrics on it. And one of the big things that they said is that a lot of people, and a lot of spammers in particular, um, have a low text to image ratio. So what this means is don't have a lot of images and not a lot of text, because you're going to get caught in spam filters. Don't put your subject in all caps. This, is this a no-brainer? Like, who does that? And then um, this one, I've actually seen a lot of people do this. And it's sending the, the message only in HTML format and not sending a text uh, component. <clears throat> and typically, typically the text component is for like Blackberries, you know, use that, or if you have an old, uh, old mail client or something. But uh, spam filters are now actually looking at this because spammers only, you know, spammers do certain things and you don't want to look like a spammer essentially. Even if you're not sending spam, you'll get caught. Here's a, a few not so common spam filter triggers. Um, these are based on uh, also MailChimp stuff and they use Spam Assassin, which is a, you know, a spam filtering thing and you can put a bunch of emails in and it'll give you a score and if you're above five, you're done. Like you're, you're probably gonna get caught in spam filters. So including the phrase extra inches, which, uh, <laughs> yeah. I know. Well, the interesting thing, the, the guy from MailChimp was actually commenting, and he's like, this sounds like, you know, appendage enhancement stuff, but actually, like, if you, if you work with, um, like, for a health spa or something, they often say, shave extra inches off of your waist. And so he's seen a lot of them go into spam. So it's, it, you know, from, uh, from health spas. Using deer, deer so-and-so is very bad. It's a 2.7, right? So this doesn't get you caught immediately, but if you do this and, like, something else poorly, it's going to get caught in a lot of spam filters. So don't use dear, use hello, use howdy, use hi. Um, the <laughs> stop further distribution is a funny one. This is what marketing speak, this is marketing speak for unsubscribe. So some people say stop further distribution at the bottom. And no one wants to read that, right? I guess the thing, I guess the correlation is if you put stop further distribution instead of unsubscribe, the rest of your email is probably crap and people are gonna market as spam. So don't, don't be stupid, just put unsubscribe. Uh, you registered with the partner is a big one. They don't have a score for it. But actually, MailChimp will stop. A lot of uh, email service providers will, will stop your email uh, campaign if you put you registered with a partner in the email because they know it's quasi-spam. It's going to get marked as spam. Using the word Oprah. <laughs> I, I, I don't even have an explanation for that one, but it did. And then poorly coded HTML. It's actually a big deal. Um, to not, seriously, not use front page. They said specifically, like, front page created emails are horrible and they get caught in spam filters. So hand code it or hire someone who knows what they're doing. All right. <clears throat> they're also, um, so aside from getting past spam filters, you actually want people to open your emails, right? So subject lines are a really big deal when you're doing this. And um, there's four words specifically that they found have substantially lower your open rates. Um, in fact, all of these that we're going to look at, these subject lines, they have a less than 8% open rate. So if you think about that, you know, you get your 100 visitors and you're getting your 20, 20 emails per, per uh, 100, which is cool. You're amassing that. And then you send out this blast, yeah, I'm going to make a bunch of money, and less than 8% of your people open it. So you've totally hosed yourself. So the word reminder in a subject line is terrible. The word specials does the same. And then uh, percent off, which kind of makes sense, right? Because then it means you're selling something to people. And help for some reason. Help us do this. Because then people know that you're going you're gonna to be asking them for something. 
And then the, the last thing uh, I'm going to look at, and then I'm going to wrap up, is um, the from name. And this is something most people don't think about. And I get emails all the time with crazy from names. So this is, you know, you see the subject, and pretty much the second thing you see is who it's from. But how that appears, it, you have to be really specific about it. And this absolutely impacts open rates. So I don't know if you can read that, but it says web server. And I don't know who, I don't have a friend named web server. I also don't have a friend named reservations. Or I don't deal with a company named reservations. So with, uh, with from name, it's way better to be personal. And um, I've seen open rates vary by up to 10% using more personal um, from names. So the best, the best, the number one name is to, or the number one approach is to have a person's name in it. If they're going to know you by name, then do it. So people, when they subscribe to my blog, it doesn't come from like software by Rob support. It just says Rob Walling because you should know that if you subscribe that that's my name. If they're not going to know your name, then do something like this: Rob Walling, and then do a pipe or, or a parens, and then say my company name. Um, for uh, the next thing, the next best is to do a role. If you can't do one of the two above, right? Just say I'm Dot Invoice Support, which is it's more impersonal, and then of course. Kind of the worst is uh, to just say the company name. Actually, the real worst is to say web server. But, uh, but this is bad, too. So to recap, um, returning visitors buy more. The number one goal of your website is not to sell software. It's actually to get people to come back. And uh, email is a really good way to do that. Short follow-up sequence is the beauty of it is it's a one-time time investment. You test it out, spend a day or two, and it works or it doesn't. And when it works, like we've seen, it's you know, 10 to 20% or a little bit more for us. Um, so test it out. I wrote a book. This is actually based, this talk was based on one chapter of that book. Um, there's a discount for BOS attenders if you go to startupbook.net slash BOS. And uh, I hope to connect with you on my blog, sufferbyrob.com. Thanks for having me today. <laughs> Questions? Are there any questions? Yes. So what's your feeling about um, free download slash trial software? So I've gotten two flavors of advice. On the one hand, I've gotten, yeah, just get their email address, which of course I do, and they, I have a trial version that they can use, and it's limited functionality, you know, free version. Yep. I also got some other great advice, which was go ahead and uh, capture their email, qualify them first, and only give it to the people who are the best qualified to get your software. In other words, it can be So I didn't see any way to get free.net um, your software there. Right. So what's the what's your philosophy of A versus B? Um, I've never I've never heard the advice to not I've never heard the advice to uh, qualify before giving a free trial. If it's it's like a thirty day trial that does expire or it isn't. Limited functionality version. Oh, so it's a more of a freemium type thing. Okay. So I don't I'm not a big proponent of freemium. Um, I, anyone heard of the blog post, Why Free Plans Don't Work? That was on my blog, actually written by Ruben uh, a couple weeks ago. So I, I'm just not a big proponent of it in general. Um, it's a really, really tough way to go. Um, probably one in 100 companies actually make it work. So yes, so I, I could see doing, I would do the second one if those were my two choices. I would not give out a freemium version without qualifying someone pretty heavily first. I would just tend not to give a freemium version at all and to give them a, some kind of a trial or a 30-day limited trial is great. Because then they, it has to end, and they have to make a buying decision. Um, but with a free version, if they can get along, you know, for a year or two, people would do crazy things and not to not pay you money. 
Yes. Um, if you have um, a 30 or 40 day limit that you're re replying to them, you know, you know, at, at what point, if they don't click through, do you throw their email away or do you keep it forever and still email? Um, well, there, there's an issue with, with email. If you amass a list, it only, it only has value for maybe six months from the time they give it to you if you don't kind of ping them every once in a while. So if you wait more than six months and then suddenly send someone an email, you're likely going to get spam complaints and get uh, people, a lot of people unsubscribing because they're just not going to know who you are. So the answer to that is we, do, we tend to do like a nice follow-up sequence and then if they don't, um, I'm sorry, if we don't contact them again in the next few months, we will throw their email away after about six months. So it, it's all a matter of like how, you, how far you want to take it. You know? If you want to set up kind of an email newsletter out of this, then, then you can do that. Um, yeah. Does MailChimp automate all of that stuff for you? It like, does. It, like, it gives an email address and then it follows up and sends it four days later? And yes, yes it does. I should have gone into detail. Yeah, so basically it get, once the email goes into MailChimp, you know, you start amassing a list, uh, there's just this follow-up sequence you can create, and you just do that. You say follow-up zero days after they receive it, you put in that email, and then two days after, and it does all that and allows people to unsubscribe and everything. So all, you don't have to write any code to do that. Yes? Um, have you seen that requiring phone numbers have a significant drop-off rate uh, versus not requiring it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, then, then that's the trade-off. Like, that's, I, so I test everything and I decide, because um, you can get, a f if you go first name and email, then you now have their first name, and if you put their first name in the email or in the subject, you can tend to get higher click-through rates, like it's actually more personal. So this is where you have to look through the whole, kind of the whole sales cycle. And just because it drops your initial conversion rate, if you now have a lot more information about them, you know, their zip code or something, um, and their phone number, then uh, that can provide more value in the long run. So I guess, if, I guess what I'm saying is, if you really do need their phone number, then you just gotta do it. You just, you just have to do it. Yes? Is there any testing on the, here's some free piece of content, but I need to have your email address versus here's the free piece of content. If you wanna give an email address rate, that's not Yes, <laughs> oh, it's ridiculously different. Yeah, without the content, um, so I was talking 10 to 20% with, giving something away, it's like two to three percent without giving something away. I usually, I usually do like the strings attached versus like here's the thing, whether you want to give me your email address or not, like fine, or you have I see. to give me your email address. Uh, yes. I, we did that on .NET Invoice for a demo, um, and I've done it on another site. So I've done it twice. Um, the, the end result in, for both of them was that a lot of people did not give their email address. That they just took the content, basically. But did they buy the returning customer? Like, did you track, like, did they come back? Um, yeah, no, they didn't because, well, I mean, they didn't come back because I wasn't emailing them. You know, they weren't coming back. They weren't reminded to come back. That makes sense? Like, they didn't, most people did not come back on their own. Like, the email sequence is, a, it has a huge correlation to, to getting the returning visitors up. And so without having their email, yeah, the, the, the profit we're talking about, like the 18% increase or 13% was not there. Any others? Yeah. What do you do about bad email addresses? So when people are clicking because you can get blacklisted by sending Yeah. <coughs> Good question. So the question is, what do you do about bad email addresses? Like the things that bounce or uh, mailinator addresses, like all those kind of cause trouble for your list. Um, 
MailChimp's actually really good about that. So if, if when people enter a Mailinator address, as an example, Mailinator is like a temporary throwaway address. So I could just go in right now and type in blah at mailinator.com, put it into a form, and, um, you know, and be able to download this stuff. But uh, MailChimp won't allow them to do that. It knows most of the fake ones. And typically we require the opt-in. So like they enter the email, they have to get a confirmation and click it in order to get their stuff. So they really have to enter you know, a legitimate email. If you don't do that, you'll get eh, probably 30 to 40% crap email addresses if you don't do a double opt-in procedure. And then uh, the other thing MailChimp does is if you send a blast, a bunch of them bounce, MailChimp will pull them out. Most email service providers do that. They, they trim your list because it helps keep you from getting you know, blacklisted. Any other questions? Yeah. Um, Microsoft are kind of intentionally opaque about their spam filtering network. What was the first part, first part of that? Uh, Microsoft are kind of intentionally vague about how their spam processing works. I see. So Microsoft is va intentionally vague about how their spam processing works in Outlook specifically. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. What, what was that? It doesn't, <clears throat> it doesn't work. That's a, <laughs> they're vague because it doesn't work. Yeah, I, I don't know any specifics, honestly. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so the question is, uh, he said they sent an email out like a zero day and said, hey, thanks for trying. And then they changed it and they said, thanks for trying. Do you have, um, what was it, do you have feedback for us? Or do you, what are you trying to do with the tool? And people could just click reply, right? And just type into it. Okay, so yes, we, we do that with .NET Invoice. The zero day email actually says, please unsubscribe if you don't want this, first of all. And then, um, what are you gonna do with it? And do, if you have any feature requests, like if this doesn't meet your needs, like just hit reply and we'll get it. And um, I haven't done specifically done A-B testing, but we get a lot of replies of people saying like, you know, I would buy this if it did X. And that's pretty cool feedback. That's hard to get otherwise. Um, hard to get through you know, a blog or, or social media or something. Yes? You know, a lot, of, a lot of the emails that I get from these type of things are just incredibly long. They're like novellas. And I've never <laughs> understood why that was. Right. And if you had any comments on that. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> There's a, there's a couple things. So I, if, you, if you look at the content that we talked about in these, I do think you should keep them pretty short because otherwise people are just gonna skim down. Um, yeah, good point. Typically like a screen, like one screen that they can read it. So um, just a handful of paragraphs and some bullets. I mean, people do skim emails just like they skim blogs. So it has to be a, a fairly you know, readable thing that they can kind of skim through and. 10 seconds, and then if they want to read more about it, then they can. So I'd say like a screen height, screen height's worth. Um, I'm sorry, what was your question? Well, do you have any idea oh. why so many of these are so long? Yeah, there's this, so there's this, yeah, there's this old, it comes from direct marketing, like this old adage that like the longer the sales letter, the better it is. I, you guys may have heard of this, but it's, I don't know, these days it seems kind of bogus to me. But it's, that's like an old way of doing things is to write this really long detailed thing and tell stories and do all this. 
you can do that, like it does work, but I just, I feel like it kind of wastes a lot of people's time, like your time to write it, and then people on the other end are thinking like you, like what the hell is this guy doing, you know? Whereas this stuff, I feel like it provides more value, it covers, you know, your education and your building trust type thing, so. Yeah, that's why you would see that. Two more questions, okay, yes. So the question is, have you ever tried requiring an email address in the trial version of the software? So that someone clicks, they download, and then like when they install, you, um, you ask for the email. I haven't, and I'm curious if any, I'd love to hear from someone if they've done that, because I'd love to hear the numbers. I would have to imagine that now that someone has it and they actually want to do it, I mean, I think you get a lot, a uh, pretty good, uh, yeah, a lot more emails than not. All right, last question. When they did it later in the process, they got 10% more emails. Okay, last last question. Anyone? Yeah. Have you tried having your trial software like ping that somehow, like you know, customize it for downloads so that you have some idea what percentage of people that download your trial actually get around to installing it? Because I download a lot of software, and I look back the next day, and I'm like, I don't know what that was. Can you hand chuck it? Yeah. Um, no, I haven't done that. Ours is, we actually, like .NET Invoice doesn't run on a desktop, it runs on a server. And I think if we tried to ping back, people might be pissed off at us, especially since it's dealing with their financial information. Um, I haven't tried it, but I don't, it doesn't mean it doesn't work, you know, it doesn't mean it's not a good approach. Yeah, I've just never done it. So, that's it, thanks. Thank you.